One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm going to kick off this morning with Bill Wigan, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. Bill, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank very you. good to be on your show. Thank very, you. very nice indeed for, to, to have you here. Um, now, um, there's an old adage, isn't there, in, in political sort of communications and, and PR, which is that if you're the story uh, for more than six days, and I don't wish to uh, bring the name of Alistair Campbell into this, but if you're the story for more than six days, you know, that's a problem. And it seems to me that this story just is not going away. And I'm not so concerned, as I said in the, in the opener, about what Boris is alleged to have said. Whether he said it or not is, is of little consequence to me. Well, of more consequence to me, though, is the 58,000 quid. Well, I, I, I don't agree with um, <clears throat> that bit about being the story, Mike, because I think that when you look at what's going on around the country, the SNP are in trouble in Scotland. Andy Street is clearly winning in Birmingham. Sadiq Khan has got a problem with crime in London. And there are council elections across the country. So getting the Prime Minister to be misquoted or make up a quote for him to have said, even though he's categorically denied it, and as you rightly said, it's it's very helpful to know that the government is going to stay on track with the COVID uh, pathway to freedom mm. on the 21st of June. You, know, you can make up a quote about Boris, and if you add the word crumbs to it, people might believe it, but the ra- reality is he didn't say it. Right. So I think I think you're right to dismiss it. As for the... Um, the money, I think you're talking about the decorating of Downing Street. Yeah. At the end of the day, the taxpayer has not been asked to pick up this bill. And I think we, we can we can duck and weave around it as much as we like. But this is, once again, people trying to score political points because of the timing of the elections. If, if the taxpayer had picked up the bill, and I think you'll remember when uh, the Lord Chancellor under Blair's government um, redecorated his apartments with Pugin wallpaper mm. at vast taxpayers' expense, uh, you know, for, for hardworking people, I'd be quite glad if someone was willing to donate a, a redecoration of your office or mine, but, but they're not going to, and... Uh, uh, I think that this is really more of a storm in a teacup. Yeah, but I don't think it's about whether the taxpayer is paying for it. I think there's a couple of things here. And by the story, I don't really mean Boris as much as I mean Carrie. And I know that you may not wish to be drawn on that, but Carrie Simmons is now the story as far as this decoration story is concerned because clearly Boris Johnson does not need what has been described this morning in the Sun as a Nureyev trolley uh, at a cost of uh, 5,700 quid. That's not something I think Boris would want. Yeah, I don't think he also wants a rattan lily drum table from so on for three grand it doesn't seem to me that boris would be looking for that sort of stuff he doesn't look like a man who cares what sort of table he puts his uh, cup of coffee down on so i think she's the story and i think she's the problem and therefore something must be done about that and whether or not um uh, it was paid for by tory party hq or whether or not it was paid for by boris is an issue because depending on who paid for it it had to be declared surely 
Declaring donors, um, political donations, absolutely has to be declared. And, and uh, I don't think anyone's ever pretended that that wasn't the case. But I mean, what they've spent the donation on, that, that is a matter between them and the donor. Providing everything's declared, you know, the rules are very clear. You, you do need to declare political donations. Mm. Well, I, you might want to debate whether this is a political donation, but I think when you're prime minister, everything you do is political. But I, I don't think Carrie, who I have to say I've never met, is really more than a way of making the story have legs. What, what they've spent it on is up to them. Yeah, but where's the money come from then, Bill? Do you know? Uh, no, I have no idea. So that's what and, I mean. So you don't I, know. I read that Boris had paid it himself. Well, yeah, you read that, first of all, the Tory party HQ put the money up at the beginning in 2019 and they paid it and he then covered it. I, do, I didn't know that. Well, that's that's the, the, the money trail as far as I'm aware. And that's what it says in the Daily Mail. And that's what it says in the Times. So the word is that the Tory party, the money came from Tory party HQ. It was then suggested that it should be set up as a fund uh, under Lord Brownlow. And it would become a fund that was set up as a charity to pay for the refurbishment of Downing Street for time immemorial. Now, apparently, this is what Dominic Cummings has said was possibly illegal. So it's quite important. I mean, the detail of it is quite important. When you see, uh, you know, Mr. Case appearing before a committee yesterday and seemingly floundering around not knowing precisely who said what to whom and what happened when, surely he's just got to ask Boris, isn't he? Well, I would hope so. I, I'm not sure that the chatty rat or uh, whoever the, the, the leak was uh, is necessarily the most reliable of sources, but... Again, you've got to look at the timing. This is this is about trying to smear people on 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 a on a trolley on a table. I, I don't. I just don't feel that this is really what matters to the public right now when they're going to vote. But it very much matters to the opposition, and so any sort of uh, opportunity to to. I mean, this isn't public money, and I think that that's absolutely critical. No, I, um, no, if it was public money, uh, that would make it worse. The fact that it isn't public worse. money does not mean it's not a problem, though. A, a problem is different to, to morally wrong. I mean, if it's your tax, you do not want a trolley, perhaps. But if, you are, if you're seeing other people donate, then all you're really asking for is clarity over who did it. Not really, because there's also a case to answer, is there not? When we know how many people are struggling, how many people are suffering, how many people have seen their businesses go under, uh, when you see people spending £58,000 on redecorating a four-bedroom flat, you know, that is not a great look, Bill. But how you choose to spend your money is up to you. Well, it's not his money, is it, apparently? Apparently it was coming from a donor. That's what you said. But if the donor gave it to decorate the flat, then... Isn't that what the donor wanted to happen? Yeah, but there is a real world bill out there of ordinary people, right? £30,000 is more, for example, than the average wage in this country. Uh, absolutely. Right? And that's why it's now, critical, that, no, not but, public no, hang on. money. No, but it's not. But the point is, is that in the midst of a pandemic, when people can't work, when people are suffering, when people are losing their jobs, when people are losing their livelihoods, some people are even losing their homes because they can't pay their mortgages, to see the Prime Minister being so profligate in buying, and I say again, a Soan simplified baby bear sofa for 9,800 quid. I don't care who's giving him the money. You know, he's not okay, Croesus. He's not, he's not, you know, wait, when somebody who should be doing that. When did this happen? When did it happen? Well, it happened yeah. back in 2019. So not during the pandemic? It doesn't matter. Well, you just said it did because... Well, it matters because of how it looks, and... Bill. Come on. I mean, you know, 
You're not. You're yeah, not. But, you're but, you're but, now being you're deliberately. Right. You're being I, deliberately I, I, obtuse. The story has no, come out. The story has come out during a pandemic, and therefore it is yeah. seen through that prism. You must know that deliberately. So by people who want to damage Boris. Well, they don't. I mean, they, I mean, they're not damaging Boris because Boris well, is still leading in the polls. It's having no impact on his um, his popularity. But I think it has. Good. But it speaks to the way that people see him. Now, whether that matters or not to you. Um, is, it does is... matter, Mike. It does. But, you, you know, you're a wise man and you're normally right on these things. But the first thing is this wasn't spent during the pandemic. It isn't public money. I, I, you may be right about matter of taste. I, I would bow to your judgment on that. But but that seems to me to be the issue that you've highlighted here is the amount of money at a time when people well, that's are one of the struggling and, and and whether that's well spent. Um, and, and I'm afraid I, I can't judge that because I don't know mm. what they've bought. Well, I can tell um, you what they bought. But, if but you look the on page five of the Sun, it's all in there. But the timing is deliberately designed to have an electoral impact. And, and therefore, if you'd raised this when the money was spent in 2019 or whenever it was, fair enough. But this has been delayed so that it would have an impact on the elections. Well, it hasn't actually, because first of all, the Daily good, Mail started. Good, the Daily Mail started reporting on this story. They obviously had somebody who wasn't very keen on what was going on inside of Downing Street for quite a few weeks and months now, because they first started talking about this last year. So it was nothing to do with the election. The point is, is there are several issues here, and you've said that you know the money was spent back in uh, 2019, but actually the money was loaned in 2019 by Tory Party HQ. Boris appears to have paid the money back, but we don't understand how he's able to do that since he said he didn't have any money. So, I mean, since we don't know, surely we need to know. I'm afraid I, I have no access to Boris's private accounts or, or any of the All right, well, let me ask you, let me ask you, the, let me ask but, you a different but, question. And do you think that he should tell us? I think the rules on what you declare are crystal clear, and, and therefore I'm confident that he will have abided by them. If somebody talks about something that you have done that you may have paid for out of your own money, then it's up to you to decide personally how much you want to share that with the public. Well, no, it's not, because he's and, a public... No, sorry, I, well, I don't know. No, you've asked what his personal finances were. I no, I haven't asked know. you. No, I don't expect you to know what his personal finances are. What I've said to you is, is that he is a public servant. He works for us, right? And as, as, and as, and as timorous hard. as that may sound, so do you. And, you know, we pay for all of your expenses. We pay for your salary. We pay for your staff. We pay for everything that you do, right? Now, people out there in the big wide world who have suffered through this pandemic see people who are public servants who have not suffered at all through it in terms of their finances. And they see a man asking for Tory donors to contribute to the cost of redecorating his flat. And it doesn't look right. And according to the Daily Mail, that request went out on March the 6th, 2021. Right. And so throughout March, throughout April, throughout May, that whole conversation was going on inside Downing Street. And that is where the problem lies. So that brings it into the timing of the pandemic. I agree. The 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 questions over it, though, I think are are more opaque because it's not public money, as we've agreed. And, and what you choose to do with your money is up to you. But if you're spending it on a public building, which Downing Street is, mm. Then, then I think it's it does change the complexion of it. Should a prime minister pay for redecoration of a grace and favour house, or should the nation pay? Well, the nation already gives him thirty thousand pounds a year, which apparently wasn't enough for Carrie because the budget was too small. 
that that um well that that is why i think they got to the situation they got to isn't it yeah but i mean that's they, that's they the point i mean they, how how is 30 but they didn't I mean, ask the public for any more money i mean that room you're sitting got in. it from someone else yeah i know but that doesn't make it any better bill the point is is that you're sitting in a, in a what looks like a very nice room oh, in a very a lot in a, better in a very nice house i don't imagine you've spent thirty thousand decorating anything in your life have you uh if you look behind me you can see a bit of black and white i think it's so old that thirty thousand pounds would have built the whole well exactly i mean that's exactly right but but, But, but this is the point well i think i think it would have a great deal more traction if this was either public money or it had been spent on his own personal accommodation it's actually been spent on public accommodation Mm. so the next prime minister will enjoy the trolley and table or whatever will he are you sure they won't take it with them Maybe a she. I don't know. Um, but the but the bottom line is that that if you're redecorating a public office, generally speaking, that money should have been sufficient. If they wanted to spend more, they found it out of their own money, even if it's been donated. You, as a voter and as a taxpayer, have every right to know how your tax is spent and who is donating. That, that I that's think right, and that's what we don't well, know. And and so let's find well, let's finally get around to the, the to that question one more time. The rules, as well, you I, say, I, are very I, clear. If he, the money was donated, we need to know who donated it, don't we? But but if it was donated to central office, it will have been declared. If it was effectively borrowed and then repaid, they've told you. So I, I'm not quite sure who you're looking for in, in this mystery. Well, I'm just looking to, as to... I mean, Simon Case could not answer the question yesterday as to how... He has more information than I do, Exactly, that's for sure. exactly. He could not tell the committee in which he was appearing before um, who gave the money that was paid first up in 2019. He could not find anyone's name on that money, and he can't tell us why Boris needed to borrow the money and when Boris paid it back and to whom. So, I mean, those are the simple questions that need answering. It may simply be that the money was donated to the Conservative Party, borrowed from the Conservative Party and paid back to the Conservative Party. Well, if that's true, then why not just say that? Every donation. Well, I I didn't lend the money. I'm I'm only a member. The point is that um, if that is what has happened, then there wouldn't be an individual name, which is why um, the committee didn't get an answer yesterday. Hmm. And, and why nobody's come up with a name. But the trust was run by somebody Lord Brownlow was named. So I, 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 I'm struggling to see the mystery element to this because the, the information's out there. It wasn't, it wasn't your cash. It wasn't taxpayers' money. No, I get that. So I, I think that's really important. Because no, I think is... that is important, but it doesn't mean that it's not still a story, and it doesn't mean that we still... Oh, it's the reason, a story. The reason, there's, the reason there's a mystery bill is because there's a question out there as to how it's been paid, and who's paid Yes, because the rest of us can't borrow money from central office. Well, I mean, I'd like, yeah, I mean, I'd like to redecorate my flat. You know, can I borrow oh, some money from, from Boris? I mean, you know, without him having to declare it? I don't know. I don't know. As I said, I don't know what how his personal finance How about Tory Party HQ? Stuff. Would they lend me some? Um, well, I don't. I don't even expect they'll lend me some either. But uh, but well, we live in hope, Mike. We, we do. Live in hope. But, the, but you do see. You do see also the optics of these things are more important sometimes than the substance bill. And there are a lot of people and getting the in touch. Getting in touch. Well, you keep going on about the timing. I don't think you should worry too much about the election. The point about all of this is that the Labour Party is in disarray. Right? And they can throw any number of things at, at Boris, and no doubt tomorrow we'll see Keir Starmer failing yet again to make any kind of impact at Prime Minister's questions. And you know, believe it or not. 
not, despite what I'm saying to you, you know, I still think Boris Johnson overall is doing a great job. But he can't be too, he can't be too, um, you know, sort of cavalier with the truth. He can't just pretend that nobody's interested. Therefore, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to tell. I'm just going to stonewall the whole thing, you know. And there is a perception that Carrie is more powerful than she should be inside of government. And, and I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that because there seems to be a, a um, well, there's several parallel worlds. There's the day-to-day politics that MPs like me get involved with. There's the relationship between Downing Street and the media, which you'll be far more familiar mm. with. And then there's the workings within Downing Street. Uh, people like Carrie, the, the Prime Minister's partner, who, who I'm afraid I just don't know. Mm. And I'm sure she's delightful, and I'm sure she's very well in intentioned. She may well be, and, but the point and, is, is that she wasn't she elected. And she is not accountable. No, but she wasn't elected, and she's not accountable. Dan Hodges was on yesterday from the Mail on Sunday, saying, "Look, you know, we're told very often that she's very capable, that she's very good politically, that she's a I've great, a great mind. In which case, give her a proper job, right? And don't have her sort of hanging about as the, oh, as, the as the fiance of the prime minister. Give her a proper job in government and make her answerable to somebody. I'd rather come on your program and defend." private money being spent on public buildings than jobs for prime minister's partners but but my point is is that she had a job in the tory party before oh that's fine as long as it's not a government position appointed to the i mean sheree blair had her own uh civil servant to help her and that caused them a great deal of angst so i think separating the public purse from the private purse is absolutely fundamental and i and, and, and that's what the taxpayers demand and i think rightly so hmm. so I, I i i'm not sure that uh, carrie's role in all of this uh, is something that i i know much about first but I, i'm pretty sure she's she's well-intentioned and a good person uh, otherwise boris wouldn't have anything to do with her i'm sure so i'm sure i'm, I'm sure you're right but so the, the difficulty is bill there's reams and reams of this of this story and there's reams and reams of it still to come out and the, the less that boris says about it the more it's going to go on so he needs to come out and, and 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 put a stop to it by just giving the answer that everybody's asking him for doesn't he if, well if if i see him i'll tell him please do but um I'm, I'm pretty certain that if if it was straightforward he would have done it anyway uh, and and I genuinely have no extra information, um, and certainly probably less than you on on what's been going on. So right. I can only apologise that I can't give you the. There's no need for that, Bill. Absolutely no need. But, uh, I have total confidence in the Prime Minister, and I think you're right. He is doing an excellent job, and and Carrie is supporting him, and I think we should be grateful for that. Good, Bill Wigan. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us, Bill Wigan, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. Well, uh, there you have it. Uh, Boris Johnson is doing an excellent job and Carrie is helping him do that. Is that the situation you want in this country? 0344 499 1000. Maybe uh, you think I'm being ridiculously kind of one uh, track minded about this. Maybe you don't care. But I think it's important that we know that the Prime Minister is acting properly, uh, even though you might not think this is a big story. It is coming on top of a lot of other stories. And I don't believe there's anything to do with the election process because Labour are dead and buried in the election process in any event. There's not much Keir Starmer can do to lay a glove on Boris Johnson. All you've got to do is look at the polls. They're still something like 10 points behind, you know, even during this, for heaven's sake. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it might come as some surprise to you that Pretty Patel has ordered the police to do something because Pretty Patel does order the police to do things quite a bit. Not always uh, is it very clear-cut and not always are they able to do the things that she's ordered them to do. But let's talk to Harry Miller, former police officer, co-founder of the Fair Cop Group, because apparently uh, the police are now not going to record hate incidents that are not crimes. Well, I say bravo to that. Harry, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you as well. Um, do you know what a hate incident is? Because I'm not sure I do. Oh, yeah, I know very much what a hate incident is. A hate incident is anything that anybody perceives as being something that they don't like, mm. uh, but isn't actually a crime. So, for instance, I got in trouble by Humberside Police because I one of the things I said was, who won the 1976 men's decathlon right. at the Olympics? Oh, yeah. That was classed as a hate, a non-crime hate <laughs> incident, because, seriously, no. because, because it, it questioned whether Caitlyn Jenner had always been a woman. Right. So this was clearly hate, um, and the police needed to record it. And so that's the level of nonsense that, um, that the police have been recording. And is that because somebody basically uh, reported you for having uh, created this hate incident? Well, yeah, absolutely. The, the, somebody who the, who the High Court judged as being operating from the outer edges of rationality um, accessed the, the True Vision Police portal uh, to report me and said that um, the expression of my views was clearly an indicator that I was about to launch into a career of great hate and crime, which is precisely, of course, what the, uh, the hate crime guidance is predicated upon. It says that the kind of speech that I engaged in uh, was step one of a five-step programme towards genocide. Mm. That's what the hate crime guidance says. And therefore, of course, they have to jump in and stop me saying things like... Um, Caitlyn, uh, Caitlyn Jenner uh, is actually probably in 1976 was a man because clearly this is an indicator of me about to commit genocide. Um, <laughs> that, that... I'm sorry for laughing um, at the word genocide, but it really is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is a guy, by the way, who, when he was a man, uh, appeared on the, the side of a cereal packet because he was that popular as an athlete in America that they put him on the side of, I don't know, shredded wheat or something. But, you know, there he was with his javelin, uh, looking incredibly sort of muscular and, and manly. Um, and well, now he's not that. That's fine. I don't care. It doesn't make me guilty of hate just because I'm thinking about that cereal, does it? Well, the problem is you talk, you talk about things like innocence and guilt as though they're relevant. The thing about a non-crime hate incident, you don't need anything other than somebody being offended. You don't need, you don't need proof. You don't even need evidence. All you need is somebody to say that person was offensive and the police record it. Now, what is utterly bizarre about this is the College of Policing is currently uh, uh, has been taken to the um, the Court of Appeal mm. so that we can have this guidance thrown out. We're, we're awaiting that ruling. But in the meantime, Priti Patel, who, by the way, owns the College of Policing, she is its one and only shareholder, right. as, a, as, as said, throw it out anyway. Yeah. So... I'm not quite sure what's going on. I really don't. No, that's bizarre. And as far as your uh, the recording of your crime, do you know how that was done and where it went? Well, well I know where it went. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a copy of the of the crime report. And by the way, it says crime report. It calls me, it says that I'm a suspect in the offence of transgender hate. Mm. And the police say that it's quite, they're quite within their rights to, um, to send this to any potential employer uh, because clearly I'm a hater. Now, this is not about me. This is about the 120 other thousand, the 120,000 other people who have these non-crime hate incidents mm. uh, against the name. Now, even this weekend, the college of the assistant chief constable of the college of policing was banging on about how it's so important to collect these non-crime hate incidents because they they can help prevent escalation to future violent mm. crimes. Well, we put in a load of uh, freedom of information requests to all police forces across um, England and Wales saying, how successful has this policy been? How many crimes have you managed to prevent as a result of collecting non-crime hate incidents? And guess what the number was? What? 
Zero. <laughs> Absolutely not a single one. Right. Not a one. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. Now, when they say they are within their rights to send it to your employers or potential employers, does that mean they're able to do that even if they've not been asked to? Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. On, uh, on an enhanced DBS, Jake, it is within the gift of the Chief Constable to absolutely screw up your career because he's decided that you shouldn't have that th- this job or that job. And they're not even hiding mm. this fact. They're not even hiding this fact. They, they, they seem quite proud of it that um, the police are now screening people from jobs uh, based on the fact that somebody reported you for having a view that the police didn't like. Right. I mean, it's utterly, utterly ridiculous. And even worse, the College of Policing have now mandated the uh, police to record children who say something a little bit dodgy. Right. Now, imagine that. Imagine that. Well, Pretty Patel is absolutely right to tell the police to stop mm. this ridiculous practice but it should not have happened in the first place no exactly right and what will happen now uh, harry to your your particular uh, uh, crime sheet uh, with that terrible <laughs> that terrible heinous crime on it will they be all destroyed will they keep them somewhere will it be on file forever what who, who knows i mean what what we want and what we went to the court to appeal for is that we want all of these things just destroying just yeah. absolutely destroying because the police are operating out of control. They're operating, as Mr Justice Knoll said, like the Stasi, the Gestapo and the Cheka. Mm. And it's simply not good enough. They have to get rid of them. In this country, we have a grand tradition of being innocent until being proven guilty. Mm. We have a grand tradition of the burden of proof resting with the state and with the police. Well, the College of Policing have cut through all of that because guess what? They know better. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm sure when you were in the police force, it was a very different uh, kettle of fish altogether. I mean, I can understand watching the Oscars and watching the Oscar speeches and the people all trying to, you know, out-virtue signal one another and show how woke they are and show how aware they are of everybody's, you know, problems and disabilities and uh, things that they need help with. But this is the police we're talking about. I mean, why are they virtue signalling to other police officers about themselves? I just think they've, I think they've got a, a bad case of misguided guilt. I think because they screwed it up over Stephen Lawrence 28 years ago, yeah. uh, they're carrying around this great burden of guilt. Well, what they ought to do is wear a her shirt or drive a Prius <laughs> or something. Yeah. What they shouldn't be doing is persecuting um, law-abiding individuals. Because you know what? We're all for the police arresting criminals. Yes. But we're not for police investigating non-criminals. Mm. It's absolutely absurd. Yes. So they need to get over themselves. Well, particularly when we keep hearing that they haven't got the resources. I mean, they've certainly got enough resources to go steaming into marches when they choose to. And they've certainly got the resources to uh, wander about the streets, making sure that people aren't sitting down with cups of coffee like they were doing a few weeks ago here in London. Um, well, you know, a bit I, like... I, 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 is Absolutely. It, is it a bit like the NHS? They've got plenty of money. They've got plenty of resources. They're just not managing it properly. Do you know what? The College of Policing employs 650 members of staff. It's got a wage bill of £38 million. Now, if you do the simple maths, that's £56,000 each. Yeah. Now, the average copper is on £28,000. Right. So, again, do the maths. If we shut down the College of Policing, we can have two coppers on the beat for every one of these, well, lunatics... Mm. Um, drawing a massive wage at the College of Policing. So if we win our ruling, our next thing will be we will be campaigning to close down the College of Police because we want police force, we want police officers policing our streets, not our tweets. Very true. And what is it that the College of Policing actually is meant to do anyway? No idea. 
they're supposed to be the professional. They're supposed to be the professional body, but all they all they are is a hate factory. Yeah. They just keep generating more and like more it. and more hate. Yeah. Everything's hateful. You know, having a funny look is hateful. This interview is hateful. Yeah. Seriously, Section Twenty Two Public Order Act. They could be doing you. They could be knocking on your door because you've interviewed me and I'm a known hater. Yes. This is what the College of Policing do, and they need closing down. Well, do you know, it's interesting, because I don't know how aware you are of the Scottish situation now, but they've got an even worse hate crime law up there, which has actually been written into law, which says that all of those things that you've just said could make you actually um, liable for prosecution, even if you said it to your own family in your own house. Yeah, exactly. You know, you give somebody the wrong look. Now we've gone from thought crime to look crime. Yeah. You know, you raise an eyebrow at the wrong at the wrong place. That makes you a hater. It's a signifier of a hater. Seriously, you've got to wonder whether there are a bunch of precogs laying around in buckets of cold water at night with electrodes strapped to their helmets, um, imagining what future crime uh, that there might be, because I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. And but- they love it. They absolutely love it, because it's so much easier doing that than doing actual policing. Yes. It's so much easier. Do you think they're getting egged on, though, by some of the uh, either local politicians or national politicians who seem to be constantly looking for reasons to be offended about stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Again, they're all cowards. Yeah. We've got so many We've got so many politicians in this country who are utter cowards. And it's entirely wrong, you know, that people like me, ordinary individuals like me, should step up to the plate. Maya Forstatter, who's, who's in court today defending defending her right to believe that people don't change sex. Yeah. I mean, how nonsensical is that? And why is it that regular, normal human beings like Maya Forstatter, Harry Miller, Sarah Fillimore, normal people, Posey Parker, should have to do the job that we elect MPs to do? Mm. Well, they don't do it because they're cowards. Yes. We're not. And they won't take on a group of people who might be upset. Which is fine. They can be upset. There's nothing wrong with being upset. There's nothing wrong with believing in something. But we don't all have to believe the same thing. That's not called democracy, is it? Absolutely. If you want to believe that the earth is flat or that, you know, that there are 79 different genders, then absolutely you are at liberty. You are at liberty to believe that. And I will support your right to say that. And the police have got no business whatsoever in interfering in your belief, Mm. crazy as it is, than they have in my belief. It's just absolutely crackers. And that's why there's this, there's this powerful movement of normal human beings, common or law people who believe in common law, who believe in common sense and believe that the police need dragging into line because our politicians have singularly failed to step up to the plate. When do you think this all started, Harry? When did this kind of, you know, slow slide into madness, as I would call it, began? It, it's, you know what, it's so hard to sort of do a root and uh, an accurate root cause analysis mm. on this. And, and the, the, the fact is, I don't know. I just don't know. I think, I think part of it is because the police took the, the Stephen Lawrence inquiry uh, report by Bill McPherson. Yeah. And rather than looking at themselves, which is what Bill McPherson asked them to do, they simply couldn't stand to do that. And so they reflected all of the criticism on themselves onto the general public. So rather than them checking their own motivations, it's so much easier to check mine. And they yeah. think they think that they've done what Bill McPherson asked them to do. So it's just the whole thing is Fugazi, as they say in the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> it's all Fugazi. Yeah. Or indeed in Donnie Donny Brasco, where it started out first. Pardon? Well, or indeed in Donnie Brasco, where it started out first. 
Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It's, it's exactly the, the police are engaged in this massive Fugazi exercise. Uh, you know, if you want to go further back, it's Plato's cave. That they're, they're taking us all for fools and they're presenting all these statistics about, oh, this thing's all shadows on the cave wall, mate. Shadows on the cave wall. It means yeah. nothing. Right. And how do your former police colleagues react when they see you these days? Do they run 100 miles an hour away from you? No, I'm not. In, to be fair, I'm not in touch. I'm in touch with a lot of police officers, but but none of my um, none of my former colleagues. Right. Um, well, I, I, but mo- most policemen are sensible people. Yeah, we call ourselves fair cop because mm. we believe that cops are fundamentally fair, and most cops are absolutely horrified with what's going on. Yeah. Absolutely horrified because what they want to do is they want to be trusted by uh, by their bosses to go out and do the right thing to apply common sense. Mm. I've just written a piece in The Critic about how guidance is fundamentally un-British because it dismisses the entire concept of common sense. Well, the police are the public and the public are the police. And we need to we need to invest trust in our police force to do the right thing and just throw out the guidance mm. because it's damnable and it's treasonous and I would have the right to shot. Well, absolutely. I mean, like uh, going back to the Liverpool, and I think he's, he's, I think he's passing the baton, as they say, uh, the chief of Liverpool police, after they went out, Merseyside police, I should say, uh, and stood by a, um, a, a, a poster which said... Uh, being offensive is an offence. Turned out it wasn't an offence, and they had to no, take the poster down. And I mean, no. so I'm afraid, as much as it might not be very pleasant, and there are plenty of unpleasant people in this country who cause offence to other people, you know, but they're allowed to do it, surely. Of course they're allowed to do it. Being offensive is not an offence. I mean, we have the ridiculous situation where Nottinghamshire Police put on their website that, that not all crime is illegal. <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean, what, what does that... We wrote to the chief constable. Dear I mean, me. they're, talking about, they're banging on about hate crime, and they understand this, this difference between non-crime hate and crime hate. But they just can't... They haven't even got it sorted in their own heads. So they end up putting out this absolute nonsense. And take, again, it's down to individuals like me mm. um, to correct them. Well, I'm not paid a penny to do this. <laughs> not a penny. No. I mean, sure, they, you know, they need to be doing their job. They need to be doing their job. Number one that you want from a police officer, understand the difference between law, something that's lawful, and a crime. Yes. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's really not. And if it's not criminal, then, you know, do one. Yeah, exactly. And if you are actually going to stop arresting people because it's too complicated, you know, you might want to think about getting a new career. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, we we, we had I was with Lawrence Fox on um, on Thursday, and we, we went down and had a chat with the deputy chief constable of the Met yeah. and we asked him why they stood around whilst um, a load of uh, Extinction Rebellion um, uh, lasses stood with their hammers bashing the hell out of the windows of the mm. HSBC right. and he told us that, um, that the reason that they did that was because of health and safety because it takes five police officers to arrest one person with a hammer right. who's an Extinction Rebellion person it's like nonsense, if I'd got a swag bag uh, over my shoulder and I approached a HSBC window with a hammer they wouldn't be thinking about health and safety. They'd be no. doing the right thing. They'd be knocking me to the ground and dragging me off into the Black Mariah. Yeah. And that's the right thing to do. Of course it is. And that's the point. <laughs> but then again, we've got a judicial system, which is also off the trolley, because we had those five Extinction Rebellion people from Stroud. I don't know why they all come from Stroud, strangely. Um, something, something in the water, mate. There something is, the water. It's, it's something about, about Gloucestershire. And uh, <laughs> they all got off, because the ju- even though the, the judge directed the jury that these people were criminally minded, that they had committed crimes, that they must be sent sentenced uh, to a custodial sentence of some kind or other. They let them go. And they said, no, 
we're going to find them not guilty on the grounds that they were doing something to save the planet. These were the people that attacked Shell Oil uh, on the grounds that Shell Oil are a big danger to the world uh, rather than actually supplying things that go into your car to help it go. Um, and they were, all, they were all acquitted. Well, yeah, because the, the, the police, the police, the judiciary are making decisions not based on law, but based on politics. Mm. And that, that, that's the first step. That can't be oh, right. That's, the, that's, a, that's a big step down towards having a Stasi police state. Mm. And it, it's no good. And we absolutely have got to resist it at every point. If you break the law, then you need some form of sanction. End of story. Bringing politics into policing is only going to end up very, very badly. You're Very absolutely bad. right. Harry, delightful to talk to you. Thank you. We must do this again sometime. Former police officer, co-founder of the Fair Cop Group, Harry Miller. Um, what a man. Talking absolute sense. This is the kind of common sense you only hear on talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are the home of common sense, the voice of the people and all manner of other things as well. We are also the only place where you can get the kind of coverage of the kind of stories that nobody else does. And we've, we got that yesterday with Tonya Buxton, who came in and told us all about the Freedom March on Saturday, uh, talked about it in very, very normal terms, in terms that everybody could uh, identify with. And people were very taken with Tonya. I think we're going to be talking to Tonya a lot over the course of the next few weeks. Another woman who talks an awful lot of sense, Belinda DeLucy is here, former Brexit Party MEP. Belinda, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Not at all. So nice to see you. Now, um, as if the world has not gone crazy enough, uh, and as if there are not enough words that we cannot any longer say, uh, there's a whole new slew of words that we cannot any longer say, uh, including blind, apparently. It's not nice to say blind. I mean, I find that extraordinary. Look, the, the way I see it, Mike, is everyone should be free to use whatever term they like to describe themselves. Mm. I object to this morality brigade that goes around trying to replace perfectly harmless words with with more gentle, inclusive words and then uses it as a stick to beat the British public with. Yes. And what put people into groups so the group that says blind is somehow you know uh bigots and and probably ve- brexit voting scum and then probably. the group says <laughs> <laughs> then the group that says visually impaired is somehow righteous and more holy and it's just this nasty way of of dividing people again i mean goodness me we've had it with women mike we're constantly getting told be offended by non-inclusive words that the fragile doll-like structure of a female simply can't take words like mm. hit- and management and our men and and constantly telling people they should be offended by these nasty words it's creating a fragile panicky climate where the most people are, are good they don't want to offend anyone and and yet they're going to be demonized for slipping up or getting it yeah. wrong and also, it's it's not conducive to conversation. I mean, one of the great things about coming out of this lockdown is that we can all meet and have conversations with one another. You know, I've been doing it, obviously, because it's what I do for a living. But, you know, people have missed the art of conversation. And when you're so busy trying to work out what word you can say, you can't even make a sentence work, can you? No, and also I feel really sorry for, for the elderly as well, because these words keep changing so much. I mean, look at Bane, for example, yeah. last in now it's out the woke eat the woke all the time it's the woke cat cannibalism by the way it's one of my favorite things to watch but but <laughs> you know, these, these these words are now suddenly uh, unacceptable when they were acceptable a year ago how are 70 and 80 year olds supposed to keep up with all of this uh, with the m- quick moving nature of all this sort of inclusive language and why does language have to be inclusive 
if it's not. Right. Um, Language is, is surely an expression uh, of all sorts of things. And you can say things in certain languages which make absolutely no sense when they're translated literally in English. You know, one of my favourite things to do uh, is to tell people about my, my uh, natural affinity with Hungarian swear words because I used to work in a Hungarian bakery as a child. And the way that you insult people in Hungary is very, very different from the way that you do it here. And if you translate it into English, it makes it sound ridiculous and it's very funny. But in Hungarian, it's really horribly rude. Yeah, I mean, most people mean well. I just think people, uh, small militant groups of, of, of wokey kind of student types, they're so desperate to have a career and a platform. And the only way you get it now is with the currency of victimhood or the currency of being offended. And really, we should be teaching our young to have thick skin, be resilient and understand why people use certain terms, put them into context. You know, society rejected the N-word quite rightly mm. because the word and harm and hurt but the word blind I mean that doesn't have a history that doesn't that does, it has never been used as a derogatory uh, term famously so these innocent harmless words keep getting replaced by who Mike yes. this is the yeah, but that's the other thing. I mean, you talk about the N-word. The N-word may have been uh, put into disuse and disrepair uh, by people like you and I. But if you're a rap artist, you know, you can say it any, any number of times you like in a three-minute rap. Um, and you can keep saying the N-word over and over and over again. And that's fine, because apparently it's your word. So that's a bit confusing for people as well. And this organisation, Leonard Cheshire, that I hadn't heard of until now, which is some kind of charity, right? How about this for confusion? You can't use a term such as able-bodied anymore, and it should be replaced with the word non-disabled, right? So if you don't have a disability that's physically visible, you could be non-disabled. However, we keep being told that not all disability is visible. So how do they know that I'm non-disabled just by looking at me? How do they know that you're non-disabled just by looking at you? They say um, you cannot call people able-bodied because just because you're disabled, it doesn't mean that you haven't got an able body. I mean, I yeah, don't know if you, if you can make any sense of any of that. And I, and I also think that disabled people, uh, the last thing they probably want is being, uh, you know, pitied and, and having eggshells around them all the time so that the public, you know, are too frightened to even talk to them in case they get the term wrong. Or, you know, if I was to bump into someone at work and I said, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't realise you were blind and then yeah. suddenly got because I used the wrong term. Right. Um, this is where it leads. So we just have to resist, Mike, and make sure, you know, female language is being erased out of maternity bills at the moment. And, right. and all these terms that are non-inclusive to trans are, are suddenly being weaponized now. And, and it's frightening. And we just have to resist and say, no, harmless words need to stay. And charities, they go woke, they go broke. Yes. You know, they really need to be careful about being too judgmental and like the moral police against... Yes normal, decent, ordinary Brits who sometimes may slip up because they haven't been on Twitter the past 24 hours. Well, yeah, what am I going to tell my 97-year-old mother next time she says to me, I know when I say to her, how are you doing? She's like, I'm blind as a bat, which she says quite often on a regular basis because she doesn't see very well. And one of her eyes is almost completely not working. But, you know, I'm not going to say, you can't say that. It's not fair to bats. <laughs> I know, I know. I think we have to keep you have to keep making programs like yours, Mike, so that people are just really aware. You are not a bad person if you use the term blind, okay? And people who want you to feel bad about yourself for using the wrong terms have an agenda. Yes. The agenda is to completely um, deactivate your your agency and make you feel so ashamed of who you are that you actually don't feel like you have a voice. So there is an agenda behind it all. I think we need to draw the line yes. at replacing. Words. And also, what do I say to some of your former colleagues, um, uh, who you and I both know, occasionally get blind drunk? I mean, how do you describe that? <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. And my dad always says, oh, I'm deaf as an old goat now. And he is actually, you know, he's got... <laughs> And he loves people treating him like a normal human being, not like a, a fragile you know, person who can't right. take more inclusive words. We don't want to build a generation of people like that. Well, this is another one, right? Avoid phrases like suffers from, which suggest discomfort, constant pain and a sense of hopelessness. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you're suffering from cancer, I would suggest that you're probably uh, not upset about the fact that somebody's not describing you the right way, are you? Yeah, people have bigger fish to fry. They just want to get on with life and stop being told they're bad people all the time for not keeping up with a minority of woke extremists. And yes, if you're suffering cancer, actually the raw description of what you're going through is important so people can appreciate, you know, that what you're going through is severe. I mean, but it also has a very sinister side, this sanitization mm. of language to make it inclusive and less offensive. Look at the term grooming gangs. Who the hell made that term up to describe a nasty bunch of child rapists who, yeah. who kidnapped and tortured little girls? Yeah. You know, it sounds like a blooming mobile hairdressers yeah. group. Um, and, and also, you look on Twitter and you look at even paedophiles are renaming themselves because they don't like the, the term. They're naming themselves MAPS now, Minor Attracted People. Really? Oh, That's God, it. I didn't even know that one. This is where it leads, Mike. Yeah. You know, it... it Trying to make all language non-offensive so it doesn't offend anyone creeps into the dark criminal world. So people who commit atrocities get their crimes sanitized through language. Yeah. So it actually is important that you're bringing this up. We just need to, and all it takes is just resisting mm. and common sense talk like the show you've got. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Now, talking of common sense, Belinda, uh, and I certainly don't wish to buttonhole you as somebody who might have been able to spend a few quid uh, on some rattan furniture. What do you make of what's going on in this Downing Street refurb story? Because I think it's a big story for a lot of reasons, mainly because I don't think that's the kind of money the Prime Minister should be spending at this particular time. Secondly, I don't think that the Prime Minister uh, should be able to withhold information about who has maybe loaned him the money. But, I mean, seriously, 30000 a year is not enough to refurbish a four-bedroom flat? What's going on? Well, I actually do have Rasson, but I got it on eBay, second-hand, and it's really good. <laughs> well, but, I mean, um, I'm, married, I'm, I'm assuming that Carrie's selling off all the old John Lewis stuff that Theresa May put in as well, so if you keep your eyes open for that. Well, listen, this might not be a very popular um, uh, belief, but, you know, having been in the EU Parliament where billions go missing, literally, accounts don't get signed off. The way our MPs behave, they're like saints in comparison. And yes, this may be a slip up um, for Boris, but I'm, I'm rather forgiving of him, even though I didn't vote for him in the election. You know, this, this poor man has had a, a new baby, pandemic, Brexit, the unfriendly EU, so many things in his first term. Um, I think I can cut him some slack for slipping up a little bit now and again. There's no manual on how to govern a country in a pandemic. Um, I disagree with a lot of his policies, but, but think about it, Mike. If, if we wish Boris gone, be careful what we wish for, because the replacement is more likely to be a Dominic Grieve, a Philip Hammond, an Anna Subri type. Hey. Because... <laughs> oh, now you've, now, you've really, now you've really frightened everybody. Well, I, I'm just saying, you know, there aren't a lot of Boris. Westminster has always loathed Boris. They've always wanted him out. It was the people and the Brexit party that put Boris in there. Um, and actually, the more Westminster tries to do someone down, the more likely he's going to appeal or she is going to appeal to the British public. Yes, he's made mistakes. I don't like his green policy and all this environment talk at a time where people are just trying to, you know, make ends meet. Yes. But, but the alternative, I really think, is going to be so much worse. Would I rather him stay in? Absolutely. And if it means coping with some ratty furniture that he, he got someone else to pay for, I'm willing to put up with that. Uh, even a Nureyev trolley? 
<laughs> I mean, yes, remember the expenses scandal with the with the MP spending money yeah. on a moat. I remember the moat house, yeah. I mean, but again, compared to what we experience in the EU and the abuse of expenses mm. there, you know, that they're like saints in the UK. They're never perfect, um, obviously, and we must always hold Boris to account. Really important. Yeah. But I think he's the best of a of a pretty, you know, bad bunch at the moment. That's a very <laughs> sensible thing to say. As ever, common sense personified. Linda Lucy, thank you very much indeed. Former Brexit Party MEP and a woman uh, who is absolutely the sort of person you would want in the government. You know, I wish we had a proper government filled with people, filled with common sense rather than one we've got. You know, I'm perfectly capable and perfectly happy uh, to defend some of the stuff that Boris Johnson has done. I just think he needs to come clean on this whole subject to get it put to bed once and for all. Otherwise, it'll be like one of those running sores and people just keep picking away and picking away and picking away. And eventually uh, it'll get to the point where he just has to go. That'll be what happens. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.